What about the steak and eggs diet? Can you carb load on just cruciferous vegetables? That broccoli bomb, that broccoli power. What do you eat for depression and anxiety and how to get into the flow to quadruple your productivity? These questions and much more in today's episode of the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host Seamland and before we begin, I want to mention that I'm organizing my next biohacking bootcamp here in Estonia on December 7th until the 9th, so it's a three-day event. This time I'm bringing an additional teacher called Lei Evan, who's a Wim Hof instructor and a bulletproof coach from Australia. He's going to teach people how to take ice baths and control their nervous system with breathing. My own workshops include optimizing the circadian rhythms, understanding nutrition, exercise, and I'll also reveal the main principles of my upcoming book that's going to balance longevity and performance. I'm not going to tell you what the exact title is yet, but if you come to the bootcamp, you may get a free copy. The bootcamp also has, you know, some sauna sessions, awesome cooking, and uh, generally a great time. The, f- the videos of the previous bootcamp I had in July are also on my Patreon page. So if you want to support this podcast and the YouTube channel, then consider becoming a Patreon. The links are in the show notes. Future updates and free chapters of my book will also be uploaded there first. But now, this broccoli bomb has been ticking for too long. So let's get to Body, Mind, Empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. What do you think about Vince Gironda's eggs and steak diet for muscle building, ketosis and testosterone boosting? Do you think that standard keto is better for hypertrophy or is the steak and eggs diet better? Where's the steak? That's a cool question to begin with so maybe some backstory as well Vince Gironda was this OG bodybuilder from the 50s and uh, he was one of the pioneering you know old school bodybuilders who uh, developed his own way of eating called the steak and eggs diet and basically the steak and eggs diet is a cyclical zero carb ketogenic diet there is no real mystery about it what you eat is is just steak and eggs he he prescribed eating something along the lines of four to five eggs and eight ounces of steak twice a day or something like that and uh yeah it's it's it it is like the cyclical keto diet in a nutshell but uh it differs from regular keto in a in a sense that uh, you're eating zero carb, uh, you know, it's almost like a carnivore diet with the eggs for, for these five days. And on this, on the sixth day, you're going to have this massive carb refeed with unlimited amounts of, you know, cake or bread or potatoes or carbs, basically. And um, that's how we did it. He said that uh, it helped him to maintain performance at the gym while still staying relatively lean year-round without without having to go through these larger periods of bulking and cutting like the other bodybuilders started to do after after that era so yeah i think he definitely was onto something and uh the steak and egg diet steak and eggs diet definitely works and it's like a really effective way of doing the cyclical keto diet and it's also like a very effective way of promoting muscle hypertrophy with like a low carb version of eating uh in terms of 
uh, the regular Kiroraid, then there isn't def definitely like much difference. Uh, you know, the, the small amounts of vegetables you might get from cruciferous isn't isn't going to have like any significant difference between a standard cyclical keto diet and the steak and eggs diet. Uh, it's simply a matter of preference and how you choose to follow it. But other than that, you know, steak and eggs, those are the best muscle building foods and uh, they do you know, have some great benefit for both ketosis as well as testosterone. And uh, Vince also was one of those guys who used to say that... Uh, raw eggs and especially whole eggs with the yolk they're the equivalent of the, the equivalent of anabolic steroids and and uh, because of like the high amounts of cholesterol and uh, all the other saturated fat and essential fatty acids as well so he would actually prescribe eating a bunch of those eggs and uh, in my opinion uh, Eggs are indeed very anabolic. They also contain leucine, a lot of leucine, and uh, leucine is one of the main drivers of protein synthesis, and uh, it's going to stimulate the mTOR pathway. Eggs are probably the most potent natural muscle-building foods, and uh, if, if you leave out things like whey protein or such, but uh, yeah, eggs are amazing. I, I myself also consume probably like 8 to 12 eggs every every single day and uh, I even do it in a much confined time window I, I I myself do like a modified version of OMAD where I do consume my food within like 4 hours or 4 to 2 2 to 4 hours and uh, yeah during that time I'm going to eat a bunch of eggs and steak as well but I also eat some veggies so you know <laughs> because I think uh, going zero car for a long period of time may not be that optimal, but if you do it in a cyclical manner, like with the steak and eggs diet, then that can be quite effective as well. So in fact, uh, if you if you if you do feel better on a like a very low carb, almost carnivore diet, then I would still recommend you to do it like the cyclical carnivore diet, where you follow like something along the lines of the steak and eggs diet, where you consume maybe like three to five days of the week you're zero carb and on the sixth day you may introduce some vegetables you may stay keto but uh, you would still want to in incorporate some something something else that would kind of re reshape some of the metabolic profiles and to kind of boost your metabolism as well for bodybuilding specifically the steak and eggs diet that incorporates some carbs and these surges of insulin that's also great for increasing performance and promoting muscle growth more so than the regular keto diet you can definitely build muscle lean muscle with the standard keto way of eating but it's more difficult and definitely you're gonna lack you're gonna lack some you know the extra pump or the extra oomph that will kind of tip it over the top and you you will definitely be you will definitely see greater results with in, with some uh, carb carb days basically meat or potatoes after Vince Gironda there have been many other bodybuilders and fitness people who have also uh, done the same like in the 90s there was this doctor called Mauro Di Pasquale I'm not sure he was a doctor, but he was a physician. And uh, yeah, he also basically recommended the same same approach. Five days of the week, low carb, 
and on the sixth day you eat a bunch of carbs and you basically shoot insulin through the roof and you're going to create this huge anabolic response and you're going to fill up the muscle glycogen and for the next coming days you're going to have like uh, more explosiveness you're going to feel fuller and uh, you're going to ignite muscle growth because of that as well not sure how good it is for longevity because that that insulin spike may still cause some blood sugar issues but you know you have to still take a look at do you actually need to carb load do you want to carb load and uh, whether or not you can do it without it so it's not necessary but it can be somewhat beneficial I myself do it also maybe let's say once every every month or so something like that where I have a day with low fat and high carb instead of high fat and low carb so yeah that's that's how i do it just give me all the bacon and eggs you have this also brought me to one of the other questions that one of you guys asked which is could someone carb load on just cruciferous vegetables so is it possible to carb load on broccoli and cabbage (laughs) well I would imagine that it's going to be like one big massive bomb on your gut because yeah if you look at the nutritional facts of broccoli then you can see that it has 7 grams total carbohydrates and 2.5 grams of them are fiber so yeah you would have to be consuming like maybe a bunch of broccoli up to like 2 kilograms to get like a significant to get like a significant carb load effect to fill up your muscle glycogen and because of it's so fibrous i would imagine that it's it can't really be used as muscle glycogen that easily and you know of course sugar is sugar even for vegetables but at the same time like the the amount of fiber you would be getting your gut would first explode before you could get like a significant uh, muscle glycogen resynthesis benefit from that theoretically would it be possible uh yeah i would say that (laughs) maybe not because yeah the fibrous vegetables they have like a different carbohydrate and glucose profile than things like potatoes or rice so yeah you would still if you do plan to carb load then uh, i would still recommend to stick to some potatoes or some some yams and rice and it will it will do your digestion a favor as well but next to that eating just more broccoli on some days you know it doesn't have any negative negative side effect either if you do consume maybe up to 100 grams of carbs from broccoli or or some other cruciferous vegetables then that's perfectly normal and that's perfectly fine as well it's not gonna it's not gonna inhibit ketosis that much and uh, it's not gonna be that big of an issue it's simply like quite difficult to consume that much broccoli broccoli mother next question when i went low carb my heart rate spiked up from 85 to 140 every day now i'm eating about 100 carbs or so and my heart rate is back to normal why would this happen so yeah there are many potential reasons for that uh i'm not sure what your you know other biomarkers are or what's your medical condition but uh generally that kind of a heart elevation may happen because of uh, electrolyte deficiencies and uh, you may simply be lacking some uh, some minerals especially things like sodium and potassium 
So you may be actually getting too much sodium and not enough potassium. So bumping up that car those carbs allows you to gain more potassium from vegetables. Uh, I would be curious to know like what kind of carbs you also ate. Like if you ate some uh, tubers, then of course yeah you're gonna gain gain more potassium than if you were to simply eat like a few servings of broccoli and uh, and spinach. So yeah, it's quite normal in a sense uh, to prevent that. You may tr- you may want you you may try to supplement some potassium salts with some new salt or something like that, or you can take some potassium chloride uh, supplements as well. Uh, but of course, then again, it's not necessary to stay that low carb either all the time. You know, the purpose isn't to be in ketosis virtually for the rest of your life. You want to become keto adapted. And uh, to become keto adapted, you simply need to go through periods of a low carb eating schedule, and then you kind of in- implement some more carbohydrates based on your activity levels and based on your sensitivity to them. It's it's not like that keto is the end all be all. If you're feeling worse on it, then of course you can change it. You know, it's it's not like fight club where you know <laughs> when once you're in then you can't leave, it's not a cult, you know, you have to do what's best for you, and uh, you have to consume that mu- that kind of food that makes you feel the best. So if you're, if you're feeling better, and if your health is also more optimal with those 100 carbs, then why not? It's not going to kill you, and uh, it's not going to be detrimental for you either. Going too low carb can also cause some additional stress on some people who aren't adapted yet. So maybe when you went too low carb, you simply promoted a bit too much cortisol, which uh, doesn't help you to recover and which, you know, spikes up your heart rate. Then having those extra carbs, carbs will lower cortisol and help you to relax more. And uh, it's gonna promote serotonin production as well in the gut. A lot of the anxieties and gut issues can also be traced back to serotonin deficiencies. So, uh, and carbs are one of the best foods for promoting serotonin. So yeah, it doesn't really matter what kind of a low-carb diet you follow, as long as you control for blood sugar and insulin. The goal isn't to be low-carb, the goal is to, you know, manage your uh, health and to keep it in check. So whatever works, stick to it, and uh, you, you, you simply want to change your approach as you go along and adjust it according to the conditions that you that you find yourself in. Next question. What would you say are the best natural foods and supplements that for people who are suffering from depression and anxiety? So like I just mentioned, serotonin is uh, probably the best thing to start off with and uh, to look at, you know, what's what's causing these issues. You know, Hippocrates said that all disease begins in the gut, but uh, he can, he would have also said that all serotonin deficiencies begin in the gut. So yeah, it usually has to do with some sort of a gut dysbiosis and uh, maybe even potential bacterial overgrowth or, or even some, yeah, simply not getting enough serotonin from uh, what you eat because 70% of your serotonin gets produced in the gut and uh, serotonin is the relaxation hormone that helps you to relax and feel at ease. So if you're feeling wired up for no reason, you're feeling anxious and even depressed, then uh, I would start off with the gut and trying to optimize your gut health first. 
I also have an older podcast episode, number 37 and number 38, that talk about how, uh, how to optimize your serotonin and dopamine levels further. So the initial backstory is that Jordan Peterson, uh, who is like a psychologist, he noticed that a lot of the lobsters that were higher on the social dominance hierarchy, they had higher levels of serotonin. And uh, because of that, they, they were able to be more dominant and they felt more at ease. That higher serotonin level made them hold a more dominant and more confident posture. So they held themselves with their shoulders back and kind of looked like these big, big chiefs. And the lobsters that were on the lower end of the dominance hierarchy, they had lower serotonin and they also slouched over and they basically became depressed. So it comes to show how the your physiology as well as your psychology affect how your neurotransmitters and how your gut microbiome interact with each other. Serotonin plays an important role in decision-making, cognitive performance, risk-seeking behavior and social affiliations. Low serotonin will lead to low serotonin-producing behavior and depression. Standing up straight with your shoulders back is the first and easiest thing you can do. And it's, it's very difficult to feel depressed and sad if your physiology emanates confidence and pride. Low levels of dopamine are another issue that they, they kind of coincide with serotonin deficiencies. The role of dopamine is to direct reward-motivated behavior to make you want to do certain things. However, in modern environments, we're able to artificially spike our dopamine with, you know, eating chips, watching television, drinking alcohol, entertainment, social media, and, you know, every other sensory stimulation. It's somewhat too stimulating for our, for our dopamine receptors. People are running so high on dopamine all the time, and they eventually become desensitized to it. They need more and more stimulation all the time to keep themselves fulfilled. The same is with serotonin in some degree. There are many things that can mess up dopamine and serotonin. Diets high in processed sugars and fats can suppress dopamine. Not enough of the amino acid L-tyrosine can cause it, which is one of the major building blocks of dopamine. You can also be deficient in some of the cofactors needed to convert L-tyrosine into dopamine, such as complex B vitamins, copper, zinc, and iron. So I would definitely try to look into the steak and eggs diet. Vitamin D synthesis can activate dopamine, so getting enough natural sunlight is crucial for both your sleep cycles as well as motivation levels. Even carbohydrates like sweet potatoes, rice, quinoa, buckwheat, or straight-up cheesecake are very effective in boosting serotonin specifically. Long periods of too low-carb or ketogenic dieting can also make you deficient in serotonin or dopamine. <laughs> Definitely, maybe the steak and eggs diet can be your good option. Oh, right! The steak! The amino acid tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin. Foods high in tryptophan are poultry, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, and turkey. Once you got your sleep and diet covered, then you should definitely add exercise. Exercise can boost serotonin, increase BDNF, elevate your mood, and promote dopamine. Exercise has been shown to affect the brain the same way as antidepressants do. It's one of the best ways of keeping your brain happy. Then maybe medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane, reishi chaga, turkey tail, and many more are great for reducing adrenal stress and promoting relaxation. L-theanine in green tea increases serotonin and dopamine, 
while giving a more sustained response of energy that lasts a lot longer than coffee. If you do feel tired, depressed or anxious for no reason, then it's probably due to too much caffeine. St. John Wurtz is a very common herb used for depression and anxiety. It can also increase serotonin. Rhodiola rosea is one of those adaptogenic herbs that reduces anxiety and boosts mood. It can also help you to balance your hormones. And of course, a good supplement is to play or listen to some music and uh, enjoy yourself. I remember one of my friends, Kaspars Vendelis, giving a speech at the Biohacker Summit Tallinn where he mentioned that social interactions and healthy relationships should be considered to be like a supplement like that is mandatory for everyday use. So, and uh, hugs. Have you heard about hugs, that it helps you release oxytocin? It's like the standard things already, but, but, but take six seconds to hug one another just to get your oxytocin, your happiness levels increase. Because that is like, oh, it's sweet. How does that relate to biohacking, you would ask? So, I would say, the connection to others. Please perceive that as a pill. Because biohackers use pills, right? Some supplements. So that's why I would treat the connection to other people, hugs and all those emotional things as the supplements to your, to your well-being on a daily basis. And preferably before mealtime. Which is so true because social interactions, they do correlate with increased longevity and increased happiness. And the opposite as well, like if you are isolated and, and if you feel alone, then you're more prone to suffering from depression and uh, you may also decrease your lifespan. So in conclusion, get enough sleep, get enough sunlight, adjust to the circadian rhythms, go on a stake in diet, and uh, then give your family members a hug and uh, you will probably feel a lot better after a while. You can also listen to the podcast number 37 and number 38 about how to increase serotonin and dopamine levels. It's about the lobsters. So I'll leave the links in the show notes. Next question. Can you give some tips about staying healthy while having MREs in the military? Also some workout motivation tips. MREs, they stand for meal ready to eat. And uh, they're the, these packaged meal meals for the military personnel. That's an interesting question because, yeah, I, I myself uh, have been in the military as well for eight months. And I did eat a bunch of those MREs uh, at my time. But uh, I'm not sure, like, what kind of a country are you talking about? But let's presume that uh, your you're eating the MREs of the states or or some other NATO countries. They're they're very similar in terms of like the uh, nutritional profile. But yeah, what what my own MREs consisted of were basically not the healthiest food. Let's say uh, usually it had some sort of some sort of a canned uh, potato slash meat sauce with you know goulash and uh, some minced meat with with you know the the standard chow <laughs> it 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 definitely wasn't the best grass fed steak and uh, ground beef that you could find and uh, it was 
a lot a lot of high a lot of uh, processed carbs some wheat some some uh, sugars but definitely some fats and uh, proteins as well next to that we also had maybe like some ramen noodles even a bit of bread some halva some chocolate coffee tea and a bunch of other stuff the only foods that I would have considered, you know, good to eat were things like uh, canned sardines, uh, canned canned uh, sprats, fish, and also canned uh, beef. And so those were the only things that I did eat <laughs> during that time. I I was also I always traded off my chocolate bars and uh, halva bars for extra sardines and uh, extra beef. So I was the weird guy who didn't have you know chocolate with his with his meals at the in the military i also limited my carbs a lot i didn't have like the ramen noodles every day and uh, i didn't have the potatoes either or, and uh, usually my foods did consist of mostly like sardines and uh, some other fish i didn't want salmon the problem with the mres is that yeah they're quite a there's a lot of empty calories, but they're not optimal for even physical performance and not definitely op not optimal for body composition either. There's too much fat and there's too much carbs together. It would be better to either keep them separate to lower the carbs and uh, to in incorporate some healthier ketogenic fats that uh, wouldn't be, you know, combined with gluten and uh, combined with wheat. So what you can do is find yourself one of the other military guys that you're that you're serving together and start trading off the foods that you don't like <laughs> which is like a a faustian bargain in a sense that uh, you're jeopardizing the health of your uh, comrades but uh, i think like if the other other people prefer to have chocolate and they prefer to have, have like maybe ramen noodles or some some potatoes instead of the sardines then i think it's a win-win a lot of people don't really like the canned sardines, especially if they're if they're contained contained in oil or tomato sauce or something like that. But uh, I actually love them; they were really really delicious, and uh, they're they're probably the healthiest choice you have. In addition to that, you can also bring some of your own foods, like beef jerky, dried fish, some some sausages maybe. But uh, yeah, even even some supplements like you can have like a good quality whey protein or something like that to kind of increase your protein intake, especially if you're working out. Nuts and seeds are also okay and they're probably a better option than the halva bar or some other chocolate bar. But other than that, your options are still somewhat limited. The best things you can do for the carbs is to backload all of your carbs and have them only during your post-workout meal or something after after you've done some exercises or something and uh, that can kind of make you get away with it more easily like have that ramen noodle <laughs> every once in a while which is completely fine uh, i would imagine that because you're in the army then you're gonna be doing a bunch of like calisthenics and bodyweight conditioning exercises which aren't gonna build like a bunch of muscle mass and strength so whenever you do go to the gym then you would want to focus on the heavier compound lifts like squats, deadlifts and bench. So you, you wouldn't want to go to the gym and have another conditioning workout or another, or another calisthenics workout because you're already getting it on a daily basis virtually 
so yeah when whenever you are at the gym then focus on heavier lifts and uh, you're gonna get your cardio and everything else when you're doing your military exercises and you don't have to worry about that i'm sure yeah it's true that the mres aren't the best food they aren't the highest quality but uh, as a short-term thing you will definitely make it work if you eat like just sardines and uh, beef and uh, nuts so then again it's like another keto diet and it will work wonders you know what i will have some meatloaf let's have some meatloaf you want some how much do i have to restrict my protein if i want to get ketone levels above 3.0 millimoles well it's gonna depend a lot on your level of keto adaptation your 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 carb sensitivity your protein sensitivity and uh, things like that but I, I wouldn't even bother worrying about getting your 3.0 millimoles with diet like you know ketones they aren't the, the purpose isn't to chase ketones they, they vary so greatly and they fluctuate throughout the entire day as well like you're gonna get stressed out your ketones drop you're gonna sleep less your ketones drop or you may i don't know have a good workout your ketones may rise but they may rise only like within the next few hours or by the next morning whatever it is you know that the ketones themselves are simply an indicator of how much ketone bodies there are in your bloodstream at that particular moment and it's like transient it's not gonna tell you anything about general health or it's not gonna tell you how much fat you're burning it's simply a number that can have some sort of a, you know, basic guesstimate of what kind of a metabolic state you're in. Instead, you would want to st simply focus on uh, keeping your, you know, blood sugar stable, blood sugar relatively low, and uh, having some ketones present during your day. And how much it, it's going to depend on your particular purpose. You can, you can artificially spike up your ketones to 3.0 millimoles by taking some ketone esters or exogenous ketones or a lot of you know mct or whatever it is but it's not going to tell you anything a lot it's not going to be like long term so you can much easier way to bump up your ketones to 3.0 millimoles would be to fast and not eat anything for like two to three days and you're going to go there like very easily if that's what you if that's what you desire but yeah restricting protein protein isn't that uh, beneficial and not, not not necessary if you're trading it off for increasing your ketones like having more protein is definitely much more healthier than having higher ketones next question can looking at bright light lead to hormesis of the eyes so does looking straight at a light bulb benefit your eyes <laughs> well i think the answer is probably not because the blue light is quite damaging to the retinas and uh, yeah it, there's a lot of uh, issues in regards to working in front of computers and looking at smartphones uh, for the most of the day and people tend to have like poor eyesight because of just that you definitely want to limit your blue light exposure especially from uh, from like passing cars traffic lights all these other gadgets and technologies that you're surrounded by on a daily basis like walking at a supermarket that's like blazing that blue light on on your entire skin and into your eyes and it has like a quite a damaging effect on the mitochondria as well in fact blue light exposure is linked with depression anxiety and insulin resistance as well 
especially if you do it in the evening and if if you do it like too intensely that's why it's a good idea to wear these blue blocking glasses even during the daytime and especially if you're working in front of a computer for instance i myself i'm using the true dark uh, daywalker eyeglasses that uh, are these yellow tints and they're gonna filter out the blue light they actually make my eyesight sharper and i can see things more clearly because of that in the evening i'm going to switch over to the true dark twilight set that uh, has red glasses and that's going to filter out other artificial light sources as well and it's going to help me to sleep better so it's one of those things that is uh, well worth the investment and looking into i'll leave all the links in the show notes but what about hormesis does it have a hormetic effect not really because it's it's quite damaging and it's so intense it's unnatural in a sense sunlight also has blue light frequencies in the morning but it's not that strong and uh, it's not that damaging there are even some people doing stuff like sun gazing looking straight into the sun which is said to boost energy and uh, promote mitochondrial functioning which can be true to a certain extent but i wouldn't recommend doing it for too long and not every day for sure But this also coincides with the next question, which is, what would you say is the best way to access flow states to quadruple productivity? So if you don't know, then flow is the state of consciousness where you're so immersed by something that you're doing that everything else loses its importance. You kind of go into a wormhole and uh, you, you enter tunnel vision where you don't even notice time, you don't notice yourself, you eliminate all limiting beliefs, negative self-talk, and you're really in this incredible creative state where, you know, the words are literally coming out of your mouth and uh, you have no filters, basically. A lot of athletes, writers, musicians, and people who are doing like extreme sports, they, they go into flow very frequently. And uh, it feels like one of the most magnificent experiences. It's a peak experience in the sense that you're feeling on top of the world and you're enjoying yourself so much. You don't care about time. You don't care about the outside world. And it feels so good. So how do you access this flow state? I myself, uh, I myself like uh, I'm doing a lot of writing and uh, I, I do experience some flow states almost every day whenever I do work at this point I can almost create flow states on command by simply having done it so often the main idea is that you do uninterrupted work where your brain has the ability to delve deeper into its own psyche and uh, bring out these creative ideas that your own negative self-talk would block out otherwise it's like a child playing they're completely in the moment they don't think about anything else and that's also one of the reasons why they may get access to you know creative insights there are many books about flow the best one is flow by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi who was the Hungarian psychologist who came up with the concept and uh, he has many other books as well called autotelic personhood or something like that and uh, you know the an autotelic person is someone who will experience flow more often because 
they're doing something just for the sake of doing it. They don't have any additional incentives or motivations to, you know, gain some sort of an outcome or an achievement. They're doing the activity just because they love to do it so much. And that's why, like, athletes and musicians are those kinds of people who will experience flow more often than others because they don't have a deadline, like, they don't have an, an additional reason to do it other than just doing it. They're intrinsically motivated to do it because they love it. And uh, I think that that's one of the best takeaways of entering into flow is you have to love it and uh, you have to enjoy the process because if if the task gets too difficult, then you're going to get kicked out of flow because you get anxious and you're going to get frustrated. But if it's too easy, then yeah, it's going to get boring. And that's also another hindrance to flow. So flow happens between boredom and anxiety. So you're basically walking a tight rope between this huge chasm. And uh, because it requires so much effort and so much intensity of focus, then you will inevitably have to enter flow because otherwise you're going to die. You know, you can can imagine that hunter-gatherers in the past, they would also go into flow whenever they started hunting animals because they required this increased cognitive output and focus to catch the prey animal or to run away from predators or whatever it may be. Even like soldiers who are fighting in war, they will also go into flow and uh, they will lose all distractions because their life literally depends on uh, depends upon it. Whenever I was in the military, we had like drills and uh, with like live ammunition, like real firepower, and you know mortal shells exploding nearby you. You had to enter flow because yeah, you you're like oh shit, it's gonna explode and I may die. So it's like forced flow. But you can you can summon flow in your everyday life as well. You simply have to set yourself some sort of uh, goals in terms of like what I'm gonna what's 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 the what's the purpose of this activity and then do it just for the sake of doing it it's a dichotomy in a sense that you do want to reach the end result and you do want to see results but you don't want to become attached to it you have to do it for the sake of doing it do it And, and that's what I'm doing with my own writing as well Uh, At the moment, I am writing my next book, and it's like literally a love and hate, a love and hate relationship. You know, I love to write, I love doing research, and whenever I do write out the chapters, then I'm in this zone. I'm in the zone, and it feels like I'm in another world completely. Like all the distractions are turned off. There's no social media. There's there's all there's there's no other people in the house as well. I'm completely alone. There's just me and the blank page. I'm facing it, and uh, I simply start to write. Eventually, there at, at, in the beginning there may be some resistance and hesitation about, oh, well, how does this gonna sound like, and is it good enough? But you have to ignore it. You have to simply eliminate the voice of self doubt and negativity, because. That's like anti-flow completely. You want to go into like this completely unfiltered, unfiltered state of mind where everything goes, everything is okay, everything is genius. And afterwards, when you read it out of flow, then you can edit out, you know, what's what's you know wrong or what needs to be adjusted. So during the flow process itself, you have to be non-judgmental completely. 
and uh, completely allow your creativity to express it. Some some other things will also help me to trigger flow, like listening to epic music and uh, motivating soundtracks can kind of put yourself into this right state of mind. I usually listen to these orchestral epic soundtracks uh, and uh, they're gonna make me feel like I'm literally fighting some sort of a dragon or or uh, going into a dangerous cave or something like adventurous and uh, in my own mind it kind of creates this this scenario where I do have to enter flow because it feels awesome and that's how computer games work as well they do allow the person to go on this uh, crazy crazy adventure uh, which is you know completely different from the uh, ordinary world and it's like a hero's journey inside your laptop at least for me I don't play video games but I do experience heroic moments when I do <laughs> write my chapters for the next book and when I do listen to like epic epic uh, epic music so yeah, you can check out one of the articles I wrote about how to enter flow. I, has, I have uh, created these different stages of first preparing the environment, then preparing your mind, and uh, then going into flow, maintaining it, and then what you do after the flow is, is also important to keep yourself want, wanting to go back. So you can check out the article in the show notes. But the main idea is that remove all distractions, remove all judgments, and just go with the flow. Do it. Question, can a person with plentiful body fat build muscle on a prolonged fast? Or do we have to refeed every few days to get results from lifting? Uh, technically, it is possible to build muscle from your own body fat. But for that, you would have to be like quite overweight. And uh, you would have to lift some heavy weights. You know, if you if you're not able to lift heavy and get stronger despite or you know without eating then it's going to be more difficult but if you do have like if you're very like uh, capable of pushing yourself at the gym and getting stronger without you know overly taxing yourself with very glycolytic workouts like you know doing these crazy bodybuilding pumps then and focusing on like power lifting movements and things like that then it is possible to kind of recomposition yourself to convert the body fat you have into lean tissue but it's like uh, somewhat of a difficult process ideally it is you know more beneficial for muscle growth to refeed every few days to get like a bigger boost for protein synthesis as well do we ever eat some dairy any thoughts about milk uh no i don't really drink dairy or something like that it's i don't think it's ideal for uh, it's not like a good it's not a real superfood it's not ideal for longevity and it's it's not ideal for muscle growth as well like you can you can build more muscle by eating steak or eggs and uh, you will boost longevity by not drinking milk <laughs> because milk will stimulate the igf1 pathway which in excess can kind of cause some skin issues even and cause some inflammation it's kind of it, dairy is somewhat pro-inflammatory and uh, it's not like there is no benefit from dairy that you wouldn't get from other whole foods like red meat and eggs and fish and vegetables so it's not like something you know not you you wouldn't miss out on anything by not drinking milk
milk was a bad choice. Farmed salmon versus no salmon at all. So, would you be eating corn-fed salmon or no salmon at all? Uh, depends on how often you eat that salmon. If you would eat salmon every day, then preferably it's better to avoid the salmon. But let's say you eat, the only salmon you eat is farmed salmon and you eat it maybe like once a week or once every other week or so, then it's perfectly fine. It's not going to be that big of an issue. But if uh, it's generally, it would be more or more healthier to use a high quality omega-3 and DHA supplement rather than to rely on farmed salmon for the omegas and such. So yeah, you would want to be probably taking some sort of uh, omega and DHA supplement anyway, because most fish is like contaminated and uh, garbage. Today I've tried chaga cordyceps maitake maca mixed with some homemade raw kefir. Those mushrooms taste like chocolate. <laughs> yeah, those uh, medicinal mushrooms are really amazing, strong, and uh, they're really great for the immune system, autophagy, and you know everything else, fighting cancer. And yeah, I <laughs> like literally the hidden superfood that only recently has become like so popular, but they've been used for you know thousands of years in Siberia and uh, these region, Nordic regions like Finland, Estonia and Canada and those those sorts of Sweden and those sorts of places. Mm -mm. Do cold showers affect the gut biome? Well, not directly, but uh, cortisol and stress can disrupt the microbiome and they will promote like uh, intestinal permeability and they can create like leaky gut syndrome. So if you do get stressed out because of taking cold showers, then uh, it may have like some sort of a uh, issue for your for your digestion and such. So you would you would you wouldn't want to eat something right after a cold shower, if that makes sense. Mm -mm. If I eat cold cooked potatoes, would it knock me out of ketosis for days? If you're talking about like the resistant starch from potatoes, then uh, not 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 really. Like it depends on like the amounts as well. If you're eating like maybe one serving of resistant starch potatoes, then it's not going to be that big of an issue, and it doesn't even matter either. Like if it does kick you out of ketosis a little bit, then you can get back into it faster if you're you know exercising consistently. If you're already eating low carb. Or if you're fasting the next day, you're probably going to get back into ketosis. Like it's healthy to swap in and out of ketosis and to be able to do it and like very fast to to have like a greater metabolic flexibility because um, it's going to allow your body to, you know, adapt to different fuel sources very fast and it can help you to get back into ketosis faster and it can help you to establish ketosis faster as well in the first place. Carb cycling causes insulin resistance in the long term. Not, not really. Like uh, probably the opposite would be more true that uh, carb cycling would promote more insulin sensitivity because you're gonna, like, uh, you know, trigger muscle protein synthesis and you're gonna have higher levels of mTOR, which in turn is gonna make you more insulin sensitive in the future if you have like more muscle mass. And so, so it's not like carbs are all bad, insulin is all bad, and mTOR is bad, whatever, it's like, it's like a context dependent when you're stimulating them, how much, 
and uh, what you do afterwards. Assuming worst quality meats at restaurants, which meat is the best or the worst option? Fish, beef, lamb, seafood? Well, probably, probably like smaller cattle, like more exclusive cattle is healthier, like lamb or uh, I don't know what else. Uh, something something like that because uh, you know the larger cattle like beef and pork they may get they're more exposed to antibiotics and stuff like that because they want to be fed up faster but I would imagine that there isn't the huge uh, animal husbandry industry surrounding lamb <laughs> people aren't people people are growing lamb at a much slower rate and seafood isn't ideal because because it's most of it is either farmed or it's like contaminated with some heavy metals or something but you know then again it's not it's not that big of a deal if it's like occasional but i would choose for some sort of a lamp if there is this option or steak yo I tried my first target keto workout and blew out previous PRs at my lowest body fat percentage. Congratulations, it's, it's, it's indeed quite phenomenal and uh, very effective. So the target keto is the targeted ketogenic diet where you consume a small amount of carbohydrates during your high intensity workouts. And the reason why you experience such a huge boost was that you're, if you're coming off from, let's say, a low-carb keto diet and you do introduce those small amounts of carbs, then uh, you will definitely notice a huge surge in how you feel. And uh, that small amount of uh, carbs will also raise your blood sugar just a little bit. It can help to get access to more muscle glycogen, I would believe, and... Uh, it's also like a psychological thing where you, that small sweetness, you're so sensitive to the sweetness and you don't need that much to have like a bigger boost of energy. In compared to like taking the same amount of carbs on a high carb diet, then you wouldn't experience that big of a boost because you're already so uh, used to having carbohydrates. So the TKD is actually much more optimal for both muscle growth and ketosis because if you introduce them at a low glycogen state which would be like a low carb diet then you would experience a bigger energy boost than if you were to take him on a high carb diet so whatever you what whatever type of diet you choose to follow whether that be ckd or tkd then having those those tkd carbs before the workout is still much better than eating carbs all the time both for muscle growth and performance. You don't need to be eating carbs pre-workout to have a good workout. But if you do introduce those TKD carbs, then uh, it's going to be much well used and it's not going to inhibit ketosis that much. Another question was, what type of carbohydrates or sugars should I consume when doing TKD, dextrose or fructose? And that's also one of the questions I answered in episode 72 where I really go went into detail about what kind of carbs to eat on uh, on the targeted keto diet. But basically, you want to avoid fructose because fructose is only metabolized by the liver and it can't be used as muscle glycogen. You want to instead use easily absorbable glucose 
such as dextrose powder is an option, but other other sources would be like extra ripe bananas, which have more glucose than fructose, or like a baked potato or something like that. And generally, you need only like 5 to 10 grams, and you're gonna have like a huge boost. Next question, I'm trying to do keto IF for the last 4 weeks, seeing really good results. I wanted to ask about the end game. Can I keep going with it for a long time to maintain the results? What about health and will it allow me to build muscle? Well, in my opinion, fasting is one of the best things you can do for your health and you can do it while building muscle as well. And the same applies to keto. You can stay keto for like a long time without damaging your health or anything like that. And you will definitely build like lean muscle with it. But in in my opinion, it would be better to have these days where you do consume some carbs, cycle your, your macros a little bit, change things up, because the best best thing for your body is like hormetic metabolic change, where you do shift things up and you kind of cycle everything, because who knows, who knows uh, how your body is going to react to it in the long term. It's a good idea to simply from like a evolutionary standpoint to have like some periods where uh, you do get kicked out of ketosis, which doesn't mean that that you should go on like periods of eating high carbs for like weeks or days upon end. You can very easily have just one day of the week or one day out of one month where you have some carbs and that's gonna negate any potential negative side effects of ketosis or something that may come. So yeah, most of the time you would still want to stay low carb and keto because it's gonna help you to stabilize blood sugar, it's gonna suppress insulin and uh, it's it's gonna promote longevity by doing that. Plus, you don't need to be eating carbs to build muscle, like the steak and eggs diet is amazing for that. And uh, you you can also like shift things up with with some uh, some carb refeeds. And that's the beauty of it. You don't have to be strict keto IF for the rest of your life. It, in- it includes having like these cycles that uh, you can choose. Give me a lot of bacon and eggs. Next question. Do you recommend putting oil, butter or margarine in the frying pan? You wrote once on Instagram that you wouldn't recommend margarine to your worst enemy. Could you elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah, like friends don't let friends eat margarine because it is one of one of the worst foods you could ever put into your mouth. So at this point, I wanna, I'm gonna read you one of the paragraphs from my next book that actually touches on this topic about margarine and vegetable oils. So here it goes. When the lipid hypothesis became more mainstream, the US dietary recommendations were quick to shift from an animal-based module to a low-fat template that minimized meat, egg, and saturated fat content. Instead, polyunsaturated fatty acids and vegetable oils were considered to be much healthier and protective of heart disease. Unfortunately, they have many negative effects on the body that actually promote heart disease. Vegetable oils are extracted from various seeds, such as rapeseed or canola oil, soybean, corn, sunflower, peanut, and safflower. To get the oil from these plants, they have to be extracted through processing and heat, which damages their fatty acid composition. These quote-unquote heart-healthy vegetable oils 
are heated at unnaturally high temperatures, which makes the fats oxidize and go rancid. Oxidized fats accelerate aging, promote inflammation, and damage the cells of your body. In addition to that, before the oils get put onto store shelves, they get processed even more with different acids and solvents to improve the composition of the product. As a bonus, they get even deodorized and mixed with chemical colorings to mask the horrible residue of the processing process. If you take it a step further and hydrogenize the vegetable oil, then it will eventually become more solid and intact. Meat, margarine and all of the other trans fatty acid type vegetable spreads that I can't believe aren't butter. All that work to get that cheaper product. But is it actually any healthier? A medical research council survey showed that men eating butter ran half the risk of developing heart disease as those using margarine. Consumption of trans fats has been linked to obesity, metabolic syndrome, increased oxidative stress, heart disease, cancer and Alzheimer's. Friends don't let friends eat margarine. I can't, I can't believe. Paradoxically, after the introduction of heart-healthy vegetable oils and trans fats, the situation of cardiovascular disease didn't get any better, but actually got worse. What happened? As we described earlier, it's not the saturated fat or cholesterol that is driving atherosclerosis, but it's mainly caused by inflammation and sugar that's making the arteries become inflamed in the first place. Cholesterol is just going there to do its job, and it's trying to heal the injuries, but if you keep causing damage to the blood vessels, it doesn't matter how little cholesterol you eat, as your body will still manufacture it from within. It's a vicious cycle of trying to fix the symptoms instead of going to for the root cause, which is inflammation. Unfortunately, vegetable oils and trans fats are one of the most inflammatory substances in our diet that are heavily driving this process of arterial clogging. In fact, Almost 20% of the calories of Americans comes from a single food source, soybean oil. That makes 9% of all their daily calories to come from omega-6 fatty acids alone. I mean, it doesn't matter how much kale or chicken breast you eat, if you cook it in a bath of oxidized fats, you'll still damage your health. One study found that replacing corn oil with olive oil that reached an omega balance of 4 to 1 led to a 70% decrease in total mortality. So, if there is one food group you should always avoid, no matter what diet you follow, then let it be the camp of highly processed and oxidized vegetable oils and trans fats. So, when it comes to highly processed vegetable oils and margarine, then you should avoid them like wildfire because they'll literally light a forest fire in your arteries and cells. Other much healthier cooking fats are things like tallow, lard, coconut oil, and avocado oil, but not margarine. So that's the short little paragraph from my upcoming book. I'm going to announce the title and, and the main thesis shortly in a few weeks or so, but yeah, you can kind of expect what it's about. In relation to that, one of the questions asks, do you ever plan on coming to America? And uh, I'm going to plan to visit Los Angeles in the end of January, around the 20th and 30th of January, somewhere, somewhere between there. And I do plan to organize, let's say, a meetup or a book 
book introduction or something like that where where we can talk about the book uh with with in printed format and uh yeah have a good time my patreon supporters will also probably get like a free version of the book so if you do want to support this podcast then patreon is the way to go in addition to that biohacking bootcamp december 7th until the 9th there are only limited spots for the workshop with Lee Evan and we're going to do some ice baths we're going to talk about more biohacks and uh, we're going to have a good time with saunas some cold thermogenesis cooking food the steak and eggs diet maybe and uh, and other awesome stuff so that's it for this episode leave a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms thanks for listening my name is Seem Stay in flow, stay empowered.